Hello and welcome to episode 1022 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is Friday, March 4th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined this morning by Justin Mason. Justin, good morning, sir. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. You know, I still want baseball yeah. resolved and, and, you know, a lockout lifted. But all things considered, not too bad. We're going to be just talking shortstop today. A remarkably deep position. Even when you pull out all the guys we've talked about at second base, this still leaves tons. Like it's as deep as people talk about, you know, doing the the rundown to kind of see who we're gonna put on the list, it checks out. Mm-hmm. And the depth that everyone talks about is absolutely legit. I mean, I knew that beforehand, but just looking at it again, I'm like, that is that is incredible. Uh, yeah, so yeah. It, it, it's unreal just how deep the position is. Um, it just, I mean, for those who have been playing fantasy for super long, right? If you've only been playing fantasy over like the last seven to ten years. You've been spoiled. Yeah. We used to like be like fighting over guys who were going to hit 220 with like seven home runs. Yep. At the end of a draft, because they play um, every day, because they're glove. And- yeah, it just it just is was such a defense first position, and we were just amazingly spoiled. And uh, I love it. I love being it's able great. to pull from that pool. But um, and there's a yeah. lot of different ways to play it because of mm-hmm. that. Because yeah. you do have guys that are eligible to other positions so that will cut into it somewhat. But again, even with even with that, you can just keep going down the names and being like this guy this guy this guy so let's just dive right in our number one guy is somebody we did talk about at second base in trey turner uh he's joined by fernando tatis and bo bichette as you know just the uber studs they're all top five picks um they've all been in the last month in draft champions turner and tatis have gone one in drafts and bichette's gone two um, so yeah, I mean, they're just, they're cream of the crop as that's their min picks, by the way, one, one, and two, their actual average pick is 1.6, 2.2 and five. So, uh, five for Bichette. So you got these three guys here. Trey Turner was your guy last year. You were getting them at eight. That still seems crazy that, that we were able to do that, but that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he is the bona fide number one. Uh, there are guys, you know, Tatis, uh, Ramirez, there's a few other guys that do hit number one, but Trey Turner is is the the, the highest guy taken consistently at number one. You have to have a, like a top six pick to get these guys, although the max for Bo Bichette in the last month is nine. I wish I was in that draft where Bo Bichette mm-hmm. fell to nine. Um, you said that your KD, KDS has just been one to whatever, right? Yeah, it's one to fifteen. I, I really want those early first round picks. One, you get that foundational piece like a Turner with the speed uh, too mm-hmm. that everyone craves so much. And then I prefer what is going to be available to me in the back half of the second, early third. And that's probably and, more key, to be honest, is to map yeah, out absolutely. your second and third more so than that first round. Yeah, rather than what is available, like because right, you, you get hit like in the middle of that third round. And it, there's a drop off between like the end of the second, early third, and middle to back of third, uh, in terms of just overall talent. And so, yeah. you know, if I can start off a draft with like Turner, um, Mullins, and either a one of the premier closers or a premier starter, 
I feel really, really good about the start of my draft. Especially um, with your speed component, mm -hmm. then you're looking at like kind of, you know, minimum like 40 steals, you'd think 20 from each mm -hmm. with the upside about, you know, approaching of, 60. Of 60, yeah. Yeah. So. Which is fantastic. And then you get a big arm, like you said, either saves or starter. And I like that start. I actually ended up getting Bichette at six in my TGFBI. It went Turner, Tatis, Ramirez, Vlad, Soto, and then I got Bichette. And I paired him with Hader and Alonzo. So I went my speed guy, my saves, and then a power stud. And I've supplemented my speed with him in the middle of the draft. But I felt really good about that that trio there. I really like that. I think I covered three big things. Musgrove's still my ace in the fifth. So I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like the builds from the front as well. I've been pretty much just going one, you know, one to 15, one to 12 as well. And um, I'm just hoping, you know, hoping to get it, get an early pick. I'll draft from anywhere. You know, you can, you can build a team from anywhere, but I do think that front end of the draft is, is better. And it, I totally agree with you that it's more so due to the second, third rounds than it is necessarily the first. I mean, obviously the top guy is great, but, the whole first round has mm -hmm. total bona fide studs. You, um, you and I have seen a lot, and this says this is just a complete aside uh, and tangent. Um, there is a second base run that happens like in almost every draft. Like it's like India, Lau, uh, Marte, Marte, Altuve. Um, I can't tell you how many TGFBI drafts because I, I look at all the boards. Yeah, um, have like all those guys go in like consecutive picks no you're, you're dead on like 75 80 yeah you're dead on i mean they didn't go in consecutive picks in mind but india Lau, Marte all went in the same round chisholm and altuve went the round before them and i know chisholm has shortstop as well but he may be better served at second base because of the depth of shortstop so you're right that second base run mm -hmm. can happen there in my league in 10 picks uh in 10 picks we had edmund then two picks later Polanco, Marte, Altuve, Lau went consecutively, and then India went four picks after that. Imagine if you waited, and you're like, I'll get one of these guys coming back, and they just I, go that, on. I, it's run. what happened to me. I was like, uh, it's how I ended up with, you know, Will Smith, the pitcher, in the sixth round, because I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll take I'll take a, a closer in the fifth, and mm -hmm. oh, then I'll grab one of these second basemen on the way back. And none of them last. I mean, India lasted me. I probably could have taken India, but Will Smith just felt like too good of a value to lock up my second closer. I've actually um, come around on on Will Smith as, as especially as your second. I mean, mm -hmm. they trusted him. I know Matzik's there, and I like Matzik, but Smith was nails in the playoffs, and that's that, that earns you so much credit. So yeah, he's going to need like he would need to be struggling into May. I, I mean, in a in a world <laughs> where we actually played in. In in April, April, you know what yeah. I mean? A month and a half, two months into the season, he'd have to be struggling, I think, to lose the job. Will Smith would. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you there. I do feel like uh, this is an ancillary point. Obviously, we're talking shortstops, but on that second base run, if you don't have a second baseman by the sixth round, you should probably plan to get one a good bit later. I think that drop off there, because throw Cronenworth in there. Cronenworth actually lasted until the eighth in my draft, but he can go as Mine high too. as that sixth round. Um, so he's kind of a, a last bastion. But then it jumps down, and I ended up – I didn't get in on those early ones, so I took Segura in the 12th, and I – Yeah, that's exactly – I took Segura in the 12th. Um, we talked about how much we love Segura, so we put yeah. our money where our, where our mouth is, and I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah, I had uh, taken LeMahieu in the 9th, um, and then when like Segura that. was sitting there in the 12th, I was like, well, LeMahieu's now becoming my – all around my infield guy. Yes. So 
um, worked out pretty well, I think, for me. I've got I like, like I've got a team I really love a lot of the players, and I absolutely hate the way I constructed this roster. So yeah. it's it's likely a fourth place team. Um, what, did I, what did I say when you said that? Because you're like, this is, this looks like a strong fourth place team. I'm like, so you're some variants away from competing. That some positive variants. A couple, mean, couple my guys overperform. My projections have me in first, but they should I, though. Yeah, if you're using your own projections or any projection system for that matter and, and kind of drafting off them uh, and they don't have you at first at the end of the draft, you really fucked up. Well, so why, Why'd you use them? You clearly yeah, exactly. believe in them. Um, so yeah, I mean, my projections have me in first, uh, but it like, I look at this roster and I go, Oh man, this is, this, this has the makings of yeah a fourth place team. Absolutely. That's all right though. That's all right. If you, if you kind of live in there, it's, it's like the, the, the Rays it's, model, right? And it's, the it's not all right because not only have you been going behind my back and helping my wife, so has Vlad Sedler <laughs> yes, and Ruben Guy. Yes. She oh, has this, I love it. She has this crew. This army, yes. Um, of people. She's putting who, together a squad, dude. Yeah. like And she and she's putting together this really good team. Hey, and, she... She didn't come to me until the 10th round, just said, how's it going? I yeah. said, you are putting together a foundation that she I really like. She made her first like. two picks on her own, and then and then uh, um, people started reaching out to her. and, uh, and She started uh, Tucker Marte, so she got her speed component locked. Yep. And she went four straight pitchers, LeMahieu, Mountcastle, Taylor, Eovaldi. The four pitchers were uh, Urias, Presley, Freed, Will Smith. And, and then those other four I said, and I was like, you know, I love your foundation. Focus on some power bats in the middle, and and you're you're putting together a crew. I, I really like where she's going. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's really frustrating. Um, but I like your team too, though. I I got to be yeah. honest. I do I do think you are putting together a nice team. Uh, but but let's get back to the shortstops here. Yes. Tatis, shortstop outfield. Are you drafting him like concern free in that top three area, or does the shoulder bother you that he didn't do anything to to you know surgically repair it? Or do you take the other angle where you're like, I'm glad I didn't get surgery because surgery is always scary no matter what, and I'll take the ups and downs with it with Tatis. How, how do you come out with Tatis? Um, I, I definitely am concerned um, because, I mean, he just he got hurt so often with it last year. Now, he's still amazing, and if we yeah. could magically say that shoulder was fine, he'd easily be the first overall pick. Yeah. Um, and how many times when he got hurt did it look like it was going to be the end? Oh, yeah. Two or three I mean, of those times it was like, oh, shit. I remember guesting on a podcast, um, the uh, Roto-Surgeon podcast with mm -hmm. with Kev. Um, and he was like, I I'm going to drop him. I'm going to drop him. Like, he, he he's droppable. Like, after I think it was after the second or third one. I can't remember. I remember um, that sort of chatter. And I was like, you cannot drop to tease. You know, like what I if he's back next week or, you know, in three weeks? And, like, it, that turned out to be right. But, like, every time he went down, it looked like he had been hit by a truck and was yeah. just, like, laying on the ground. And you thought, this is this is the end. Um, and while it was never the end, and he still went on to have an amazing season, there's just that fear that one dive, because he's not a guy who takes it easy right like you he, can't play guys like that just they don't play half speed yeah they just don't have that in them so no uh and i, and I, don't, I don't that doesn't bother me it just it adds to the risk though yeah uh so i have my top three are turner 
uh, Ramirez and Garrett Cole. Um, And then it is kind of a a small teardrop off to Tatis Bichette. Um, I I actually have Tatis six. I I, I would take Vlad Soto and Bichette ahead of them. With Ramirez and Turner. I don't love the way I would have to build with Vlad or Soto. We talked about this. We I know. The Vlad I know. Episode. I, I'm not. Um, I'm not too worried about it. So uh, I probably should be a little so, bit higher so, than Soto, but um, you know the the Vlad guy in my league uh, or person. I don't know if it's man woman. I'm sorry, Bishop. Um, uh, Matt. Yeah, his name's Matt. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he goes Vlad Jr. Mm-hmm. Degrom. Story. Uh, the, the way they got their speed, Story, Edmund, Kelnick, Andres Jimenez, Gallo chips in some. I don't think they're completely out of, you know, uh, out of this world in trouble with their speed. It's fine. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the guy in my league who took uh, uh, took Vlad at five, uh, Jordan Eisen from Field Division Sports. He's a like eighteen year old kid. He's uh, oh, nice. been, been in TGFBI since I think he was sixteen. Um, he he went Vlad and then Marte in the second round. So he there was like, go. I got my power, I got Instantly my speed. Addressed it. Um, so and then you know then he attacked other positions. So Bishop I mean, might have done that. Marte went the pick before him. I wonder if he would have done the same thing if Marte had been there. There's definitely ways to do it. I just yeah. don't know that I'm going going to do it at That's any fair. point. Unless I mean, if I'm at the wheel or something like that, or, or you know, back end of a trap, and Vlad gets to me, maybe I could. What's Vlad's you know, max? He's not dropping that far ever, is he? Oh, I'm sure he is. I haven't. His max is 12. Oh, well, which is still pretty hot. I would, S- I would be drooling if I got if him at 12. We get, we get to main events. SP start rising into that back end yeah. of the first round. Yeah, uh, where they haven't been necessarily super prevalent. Exactly. Uh, uh, you might be able to get like a wheel that is a Vlad Albies. Oh my God, I would die. I would love that. You know, I um, would love that. Anyway, we're getting I mean, derailed off of short. Yeah, story. this is our, Sorry. uh, yeah, <laughs> it just happens. Podcast. It just happens. Yeah. Um, and well, we have somebody to talk about, so we got to stay on track. So, yeah, Tatis, um, I, I'm probably looking at him at five or six. Like, I'm not totally out, but uh, I don't know. I do like the shortstop outfield, too, infield outfield. We love that combo. He's great, he's awesome. I'm not fully out on him or anything, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do kind of look at others ahead of him. Uh, Bobachet. Took a fat L on him last year. I had concerns about him running. Uh, I stand by like the research there. It was just he just disproved it, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I think sometimes you can have a good process and still lose because he was uh, eight for thirteen. What's that story? Story of my life. Good process, <laughs> still lose. Yeah. Right. So you know he was he was eight for thirteen in the majors, and I was just like I don't know. Like and I wasn't even definitive saying like he doesn't run. I just said. I've been here before with a few prospects that ran in the minors. The two I named were Jock Peterson and George Springer. And I was like, until I see it at the majors, I'm going to be a little bit more cautious with Bob Bichette. He goes on and goes 25 for 26. So there we go. There's the proof I needed. Now I'm fully in. I trust him as a speedster. Um, he's just a bona fide stud, right? Like he went 29, 25. Are we projecting him for anything like terribly different this year? I feel like just more of the same excellence with Bob Bichette, right? Um, yeah, I think we're kind of just say, same. I mean, there's, there's always growth, right? Like, I mean, yeah, Bichette's certainly guy, could be. I mean, Bichette's still super young. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the question is, where would we see 
the growth from um and i i don't know uh i mean i guess power i mean yeah just continued more power because actually he went down a little bit 186 iso was his lowest but this was also his first full season the other two were small samples but i mean you just you bank for the status quo of of last year with the idea knowing that he could hit 320 with like a 250 iso mm -hmm. which means he'd have um what would that be a 570 slug type deal so that'd be some nasty nasty power coming out there and like yeah there's a dream 30 30 season out there there's, there's, there's upside to dream on but even if all you get is a stone cold repeat nobody's upset about that that's for sure from Bichette. yeah uh i mean the beauty is that the bad x has him for 29 or sorry 25 homers 15 stolen bases and people are gonna be like well that's even that's worse than he did last year that's a median outcome right yeah exactly like, so like we're talking like hey if he does take a step forward into that 75th percentile maybe he ends up being like you know a 35 25 guy um and like that would be really really uh interesting i mean there's there's always the you know chance to that he regresses. I think the sure. most likely scenario if he does regress is in the stolen base department, uh, you know, where he was, you know, 25 for 26. That's just super That's really hard really to big. repeat. Yeah. Um, but that being said, like, it just, I don't think you can go wrong. He's, you know, like I said, he he's my number five. Um, and depending number five on overall, just so people, know, yeah, number five number overall. Five yeah. Um, and I, depending on like how I'm feeling on a given day, I could take him four over uh, Tatis if I'm feeling like I really don't want to deal with the potential injury, um, yeah. you know, issues that, uh, that Tatis has. I think that definitely makes sense. So those are the bona fide studs. You got to pretty much have a top six pick to get them. Uh, you know, you might get lucky at seven, eight uh, randomly or nine. If you do count your blessings and, and enjoy the established studs uh, probably include you know, at least one of the guys from the already discussed, which will be the next group after this, Marcus Simeon. But um, for, for our purposes, it's Tim Anderson, Trevor Story, Francisco Lindor, and Xander Bogarts, um, because these are the guys we haven't talked about. They're all going in a relatively tight range. And like I said, Simeon is included in that, but I just put him in the in the uh, already discussed group that we're going to kind of gloss over. I'll give you a chance to speak about any of them if you want to get an extra thought in. But Tim Anderson goes at 32 on average over the last month. Tre Trevor Story, 35. Marcus Simeon, 45. Francisco Lindor, 48. And Xander Bogart's 50. So, you know, this is it. You don't get one of those early first-round picks. And so you don't get one of those top three shortstops we just talked about, but you still want a premium shortstop. This is your group here. And I didn't put Wander in. I'm going to get to Wander in a minute. But he's it's because of what I named it. I, you know, I said the established studs. He's not established yet. Plain and simple, he's just not. These are four veterans that are excellent. Uh, five, uh, I'll just include some. I mean, five veterans that are excellent. Do you have a particular favorite here out of a Tim Anderson, Trevor Story, Francisco Lindor, Xander Bogarts? And you can say Semyon if it's him, even though we already talked about him. But of those five, do you have one that you're zeroed in on? Or do you like the whole group? Or, or where you come out? I mean, I like the whole group. I, I think that you can easily make the argument that all of these guys are somewhat interchangeable. Take who's I, available type deal? Yeah. Um, you know, in, in TGFBI, I, I landed on Story. Mm -hmm. um i hadn't gotten many shares of him up until this even point. Have a team, idiot 
Well, and when he does, he's going to fuck you up. I know. I'm, I'm kidding. Up. I'm totally kidding. Um, I'm totally being silly. You know, I, there is a little bit of concern about, like, where he lands. Sure. Um, in terms of not power, but stolen bases. Yeah, um, because if he gets a shit manager, he could be having eight stolen bases all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, my, I mean, my, in my thinking is the most likely places are going to be either Philadelphia or... Or uh, the Angels uh, in Los Angeles. I don't, I don't think either would stifle him. I don't think either would. Uh, and, and the parks would be fine for him, too. So, mm-hmm. uh, And pretty great lineups as well. So yep. uh, I I am feeling like he should probably be at the top of the tier right now. I've got Tim Anderson at the top of the tier. I do worry about Anderson's injury uh history um he just always seems to get nicked up and lose 100 plate appearances 200 plate appearances here and there but mm-hmm. he's always good too with that um and, and that he, batting average yeah like, he, foundation that he delivers. i don't know who he sold his soul to to be able to maintain those high bats because he's super batting fast average. and yeah. hits the ball hard mm-hmm. it's a good combo and I know that his plate skills leave a little bit to be desired. He strikes out a lot. He doesn't walk. So we've been worried in the past. I remember definitely talking down on Tim Anderson a little bit, like, be careful. This could regress. You know, he's got a 399 BABIP that drove him in 2019. And so in the shortened season, he had a 383. It was only two months. But even last year, another full season, 372. Yeah. He just- he's showing now three years here that he's hitting the ball hard enough and his speed component, they have combined to really just make him a solid 300-something player with good power and speed. And, uh, yeah, I like Tim Anderson. I definitely have come around from a few years ago, like I said, when I used to talk down on him a bit and worry about uh, a sharp regression coming. No, I, I I have him, you know, right with this group. I do have him toward the end of, of the tier. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in back in on Lindor. I know not everyone agrees with me, but I'm back in on Lindor. Bogey is a mainstay. I'll take him on teams all day. Story, Anderson, Semyon, um, I'll literally take any of them. And I ended up getting Bogarts with Bichette. And I know some people don't like to take two of a position. I don't I don't place like special save it for later value on CI and MI. If the right player's there, they're just positions like anything else. And I'm not going to pass up Xander Bogarts just to fill a spot. I think we do that too much in fantasy overall, both in the early and in the middle rounds, right? Like mm-hmm. y- you see that third base is like your only infield position that's open, but you take a much lesser third baseman than say another outfielder or any other position because you're like, I got to fill this. And it's like, no, you don't. If there's five third basemen available and they're all kind of the same and they all go two rounds later, just wait the two rounds. Don't fill your spot. But I do think that we, a lot of us can get, you know, sucked into doing that, looking at an open spot on our roster and saying, I got to fill that right now. Take the talent and know where the pockets of value are. And I've been testing myself with that in TGFBI. Like I didn't over overdo it at second base. I told you how I got Segura. There mm-hmm. was like five, six rounds there where I just kind of kept looking like, do I just reach for somebody or do I wait and trust my board that has Rogers, Wong, Segura, and France all very similar and they all went, by the way, within five picks of each other, and I got Segura. So, again, sorry, another derailment there, but <laughs> you got to don't don't overdo it. Like if you get two shortstops early, I say you should be happy with that. I am Bichette and Bogarts. Mm-hmm. I love having two shortstops, um, and I don't. If, if I love an MI that much later, I'll put him at Util. Yeah, I think the hard part for me with that is 
you know, I love. I've been getting Nelson Cruz in just about every draft, that, and that's and fair. So, like, so I your, know your deal I, is spoken for. I, mm-hmm. I get that. It's about a draft style, and I do like a lot of the late MIs. Um, and so, I do too. I do too. Uh, so I'm gonna have to figure it out with them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's hard because you know, especially for those of you who are like me uh, and draft early, um, draft early and often, um, and you're used to these 50 round draft and holds. Man, transitioning into a 30-rounder like we are for TGFBI yep. is shocking, like, how deep a lot of these positions go, especially shortstop. But, I mean, all the positions, um, like, I'm I'm not real super worried about depth um, considering all these 50-round uh, draft holds I've done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem. You know, I'm going to – if someone is dropped in a draft and um, or just is, like, the best overall value, uh, I'm likely going to take them – and then not worry about MI for a while. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and so I got Bogarts. That would be at pick 55, I think, if I'm doing my math right, which I'm probably not. Let's just be honest. So, you know, five picks lower than his ADP. I felt good. I felt good about that. I felt like that was uh, an easy pick for me. The guys that went next, um, Buxton, Jimenez, Ilo uh, Jimenez, Freddie Peralta, Alberto Mondesi, and Corey Seager were the next five after I took Bogey, and those are all fine picks. Like I, I could have, I, I'm not out on Buxton. I, I like Eloy, but I felt like Bogey was was the guy there, so I, I went ahead and took him uh, for a second shortstop. Your thoughts on Lindor? I've mentioned that I'm in. I think it's going to be a rebound. I see it a little bit like a Carlos Beltran transition to New York type of thing. And I know that he wasn't great in 20. And a lot of people are adding that in. But you know I'm not giving that full credence because I'm not giving anybody's 2020 full credence. I'm not saying like he's been down for two seasons. And the funny thing is, though, too, even as a down Francisco Lindor, he's still been an above-average bat each of these two years. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you. I, I just mean from a WRC plus standpoint. I'm not going to tell you that last year's 2010 with a 230 average was dope. It was the 22nd rated shortstop. He hurt you. But I look at the plate skills, and even though the strikeout rate went up a little bit, so too did the walk rate. Um, a 181 ISO is still a pretty good power foundation. I know that hitting in, in City is not great, but neither is necessarily hitting in Cleveland. Although, as a switch hitter, I think when he was batting lefty, it's good for lefties, but I think it's medium to poor for righties. Mm-hmm. I, I might, If I have that wrong, correct me on, on Cleveland Stadium. So he did get some advantage there, but I just think he's going to rebound and kind of get back to his 2020 uh, with a better average. How do you feel about Lindor? Are you back in, or are you worried that based on – 20 plus uh 2020 plus last year um i'm kind of in between um i I think he's gonna rebound from last year uh and so uh like i'm not super worried that he's going to uh like be super disappointing again be the like outside top 20 shortstop the question is i I wonder how much he'll rebound um I will say that the underlying stack has data, especially in the second half, supports a rebound. Um, you know, his max exit velocity was like uh, 113. Um, his barrel percentage was, you know, around 11, 12%. Uh, hard hit percentage, 46%. Like he, he started stinging the ball again. And maybe it was a matter of like, 
getting comfortable in New York. It is a tougher place to hit. I don't think we're going to see another like 30 homer season necessarily. That's fair. Yeah, that's um, fair. I do worry about the steals because of Showalter. And that's always a yeah. concern. But we talk about it, and I'd have to do the research. We know that he they stole like comically low bases in Baltimore. Yeah, he stole. Did stole they have guys it's... worth stealing though? Did yes and no. People? I mean, he didn't have like the guys that like are burners necessarily, but I mean, he had Adam Jones, you know, in some prime Adam Jones years. He had Machado when Machado was still stealing bases. But uh, didn't he have Machado when he broke both of his freaking knees too? He did. So, but I mean, like, um, I, I went through this. Uh, I don't care remember what po- podcast might have been on this podcast, um, with Jenny, uh, and uh, and Jason on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and I went through like how many stolen bases Buck Schulter Orioles team stole between like during his last four seasons it's with the Orioles. Hilariously, and it's, low. it's hilariously. I mean, we're talking. Uh, Starling Marte had more stolen bases than Orioles teams did. Yeah, you know, with Oakland alone, yeah, I think he had some more. Like it, it was. They, they had like I want to say sixteen or nineteen stolen bases in entire season as a team. Um, Jeez. so but who knows? Like who knows? Yeah. Like I mean, uh, I definitely. Those are some slugging more. teams too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. They had Chris Davis and Trumbo and Nelson Cruz uh, for one year. Yeah, I mean, so uh, you know, they they may not have wanted to run into outs when you've got a guy who can hit a three run home run behind you, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you're tepid on, like, you're okay on Lindor, but you're not seeking him out like me. Yeah, I've got him kind of behind. I've got him behind Tim Anderson and behind. Uh, uh, story. I've got him in front okay of Bogarts, but I've actually You're flipped in front of Bogarts. Yeah, I flipped them back and forth. I do too, actually, because you know, like I said, I'm in on Lindor, but I love Bogey, and I just I do too. He's just so good, and I don't really care that he doesn't run. Yeah, it's just it's the not running part. Yeah, that I mean, he gives you a little chip in. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, eight back in 2018, four in 2019. Eight in the shortened season, which was cool because that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and then, but then five last year in another full season. So you really should be banking on him for somewhere in like the four to six range. And if you get anything extra from Bogarts, cool. Um, but so if you need speed, I do think you should be looking at Anderson Story, Semyon, and even Lindor ahead of him mm-hmm. if you need speed around there. Um, but you can't, you can't knock what he does. He's a consistently stud batting average solid yeah. power and great counting because uh, with the runs and ribbies because Xander Bogarts is in Boston and they have a quality lineup. So absolutely. I really do like him. Um, all right. We covered all of them. The already discussed Semyon Baez, Chisholm, Polanco, Cronenworth, Taylor, Urias, all on the second base show. If you really want to hear deep dive, any points that you forgot to make about them that you want to make, or are we moving over to the core guys? Let's move to the core guys. Okay. The core. Wander Franco. These are guys that you can definitely count on as your as your top shortstop, um, and they should give you a strong season. Even the guy who's not in the majors yet, you draft somebody to replace him for the first month, and then hopefully he gives you four and a half months. You know, however many months we play, whatever um, of quality work. So that's Wander Franco, Corey Seager, Bobby Witt Jr., who I was just referencing, Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson, Willie Adamas. There's some question marks, but if you wait on shortstop because you like the depth and you get one of these guys, you're not in really a bad position. Let's start with Wander. He's up there with the last group that we talked about in mm-hmm. terms of ADP. 
but because of the naming mechanism that I use, I didn't include him with those guys because he's not an established stud, but he's going at pick 60 on average. Um, he's got some great projections uh, because he was amazing last year in his 70 games. For me, though, it comes down to the power and speed and the the relatively modest output of both. Uh, the projections kind of live in like the high teens and high single digits to to low single di- to low double digits of his steals, uh, so it's really the average runs and even the ribbies at like eighty that are driving his projection. Are you in on a wander breakout this year? No, I don't. I mean, I don't see a breakout. Um, I I, I see a lot of goodness. Um, yeah, I, do too. I, like I. I think you know, and and I've I've talked about how I'm not drafting Wander Franco at the price this year and I've gotten like some pushback and it's like, I, I don't think it's going to be bad. And I think no, there, I don't either. I think there's something to be said for um, a player of his age, having a really safe floor. Um, it's wild. It's, it's unbelievable mm-hmm. that you can actually feel like you can bank on a 21 year old like that. Yeah. Um, my, my question becomes, do we really see the kind of power that some of the projection systems have him for, uh, you, know, you mean, I mean even like the nineteen homers? Yeah, like, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know that we see nineteen homers this I'm, year. I'm with you, man. Um, and I'm really suspect on even the the eight steals. And that, and I'm even more suspect on that. Uh, I mean, you know, I love how like anytime someone has like a really great debut or really great small sample, people are very quick to go, "Oh, look! Look if you prorate this out to 162 games." Yeah. Well, if you prorate it out to 162 games, his your you know. Or, let's say 600 plate appearances um, because he, he had 308 last year. So oh, yeah, so you can just it. lazily double it. Just, just lazily double it. That's 14 home runs and four stolen bases. Exactly. Um, now, that's a, lazy. We know that. We know that. It's absolutely lazy. Is- it's not what I'm doing. But I'd honestly, I think 15 and five sounds about right. Now, I think the batting average will probably be better. Um, I, you know, he's a guy who hit 300 all throughout the minor leagues. He could hit not, 320 and no yeah, one would bad knife. And one I was literally going to say that. Exactly. Sorry, I'll let you finish that. I'm no, it's a guy. Um, like if he hits, yeah, if he wins the batting title, I'm not going to be surprised. Um, and so I think he, uh, while he is going a little bit higher than I'm willing to take him, um, if he drops in a draft, I'm not out on him by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, uh, that's where I'm at, too, where I'm like, I don't want to take him at 60 right now, but his max is 83, which puts him closer to Seager that, and Witt. That's fair. That's, and that's I'm back happy. in there. I, I'll, I'll take him over Seager. Um, I'll probably take him over Witt, too, even though I'm, I'm starting t- to come around on Witt a little bit yeah. uh, for a reason that um, one of our listeners pointed out to me that I hadn't really – Let's, let's, in. let's talk about that because Seeger and Witt are next. So let's 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 go to that Witt situation. We've got him already penciled in on roster resource. So I don't know if Jason knows something that we don't. Jason Martinez um, and thinks that the CBA is going to have a, a cutout to where he's just going to be there from day one, or maybe they're working on a on a on a pre-arb deal. Um, I don't think it, I don't think he'll break camp, but he cannot have that much left to prove at Triple A. Like he had a god tier Double A Triple A season. Um, he went 16-14 at AA in 61 games and then 17-15 at AAA in 62 games. Just Bobby Wood Jr. couldn't have been better. What did you hear from a from a listener that has you a little bit more intrigued by him? 
Well, he just asked me a question, you know, via DM on Twitter. He was, uh, and he said, "Hey, with the fact that it seems like Bobby Witt Jr. will play third base and the lack of depth of the third base pool, should I be drafting him a little bit higher? Considering at some point he's going to be third base eligible, and that just fills a really big hole in my team." And I went, "You know, that's not something I really thought about necessarily." But he's I right. Didn't either I, um, I, I kept, I actually kind of kept using the depth of shortstop to down him a little bit saying like, why do I need to reach mm-hmm. for him? Not thinking that Nicky Lopez but is playing short. If you like go over, like I'm just going to go over to my third base ranks real quick. I would probably plug him like, I don't know, above Bregman. Like he's, how, dare, how dare you? Um, he, you know, probably below Arenado, above Bregman. So he'd be so like, what's that, my, like six or seven? He'd be my seventh third baseman. Yeah, me too. And now I'm like, and I mean, here's the thing, and I and I have to go back and double check this, but didn't like part of like the shortened season in 2020, like the agreement was like anybody who played, um, automatically got that year of service time, right? Yeah. So if we have a shortened season and that kind of rule is in effect, where there isn't going to be the you know incentive for, to hold guys down. He may be up day one. I mean that'd be um, great. That'd be great. And if they start like they are definitely fancying themselves on the verge. The Royals know mm-hmm. that they're, they're putting some things together. They kind of thought it was going to come last year. I've talked about how you know I was kind of in on them as a sneak team. They had a good first month and then completely shit the bed. But that offense they're starting to put together is nice. You throw Wit in the middle there. Um, you know Merrifield. Lopez, Perez, Benintendi, Witt. Obviously, you need some health for Mondesi. Um, and even the Dozier, Isbell, Taylor as the last three. I'm not sitting here telling you those are amazing, but they all do different things that, that are quality for a for a lineup. Like Taylor's defense is amazing. Isbell is a, a solid prospect. Uh, Dozier, I can't quit him, but he was pretty – he was wretched last year. I'm yeah. not, not, not going to sugarcoat it. He was wretched. But um, he's signed, so he is going to play. But, yeah, they're starting to put some things together. And if if they do find a way to just have Witt there from day one, obviously the people that are drafting him right now are getting an absolute coup over the rest okay. of the league. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Witt was a guy where I wasn't paying the price. I may pay the price here at some point. Uh, yeah. I, I think I so. want to, you know, again, we, we have a different setup than some folks that play like mm-hmm. one or two leagues. We kind of have a portfolio, and that's what I'm mm-hmm. talking about, getting our shares and whatnot. We can diversify a little bit. I totally understand if you're a one- or two-league person, you don't want to take that risk uh, because shortstop is so deep, and if you don't want to wait on it, fine. But if you are a multi-leaguer, I think kind of getting in on this on this uh, excellent profile just in case it pops day one makes some sense. So I like Wit as well, and I'm, I'm certainly open to, uh, to getting him somewhere. I don't think it'll be the main. But, um, you know, beat Paul Sporley is going to be coming up. I like to let you guys beat me, so maybe I'll just take Bobby Witt, and then he'll stay in the minors all year. Maybe. I, I had, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to humble brag or anything. I had, I had a pretty good year last year. Not in the beat Paul Sports. I let those live up to their yeah. name. I finished ninth in both of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only two leagues I did not really do well in were those two leagues. Um, all right, let's talk about your boy Seager. He's going out to Texas. We've talked about. Texas my, can be my boy senior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for those boy, that yeah. don't know, Justin does not like it. Corey yeah. Seager. This, um, this is a this is a tier of guys I've hated in the past. Correct. It it really is for for very various reasons. One thing about Globe Life though is it's actually a little bit tougher on 
righties than lefties. So he's not necessarily going out there to Texas and, and going to get going to get crapped on. Um, it could be all right for, for Corey Seager out there where it's just kind of fine. Now, he's going from L.A., uh, L.A.'s lineup to Texas's lineup. Mm-hmm. No, there's no way to slice that. That isn't tough. Uh, so let's let's be clear about that. But I've I've talked about the difficulties of Globe Life multiple times in general with relation to Semyon and uh, uh, Seager. I want to point out that it is harder on righties than it is lefties, and Seager's getting more of a neutral park than the 96 uh, park factor rating that ranks 22nd for uh, right-handers for Corey or for for Marcus Semyon. It's actually 16th at an even 100 for lefties. So we know the lineup is a hit. Go ahead. Even if it was hard on him, though, like I, I'm not worried about that with Seager. Because Seager he's, is, he's uh, just a good player. He's just a really, really good hitter. It's um, all about the health for you, right? Uh, it's all about the health and now that lineup. Um, but yeah. Because the lineup is going to be bad. Josh Young getting hurt, um, you know, sucks, means dude. we don't get the reinforcements we thought we might get. Yeah, that um, sucks. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to be like Oakland bad lineup, but it's going to be oh bad. Oh, uh, so bad, dude. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I'm not going to draft Seeger. He doesn't steal bases. Um, yeah. The injury risk is too great at this point. Uh, the lineup is awful. And there's just so many other guys in this tier. Yeah. Um, and even in tiers later that I, I'd be much more interested in drafting. And, and that's really that's really the issue with Seeger, it's like, and I, and I've backed him plenty. We've had our, we've had millions of Seeger arguments on this show and can argue with the talent, but it's, it's like 90 games of, of his talent too often. Now, um, you know, another hurt season in 21 again, the last, when we had a big combo about it, three of the four seasons were pretty healthy. They were over 500 plate appearances, two of which were over 600. But then just another another hit this past year and going to the week went up. I'm moving closer toward you. Plus, the depth of the position also makes it easier to be like, I just don't want to take that risk. It's, mm-hmm. it's an annoying risk is what it is. And if you're going to take the risk, game. you want it to be on a guy that you feel like really could separate himself. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, Seager could. But the lack of speed really hurts him from helping you. how much that yeah. separation can be, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Spe- when, totally especially agree. when you got – guys like Lindor who can steal 15 25 or 20 bases yeah um you know guy even guys you know in this tier like Bobby Witt Jr can steal bases you know at least Dansby Dans- gives double Dans- I was about to say Dansby Swanson at least steals bases yeah um so I just there's so there's there's not enough separation even when he is healthy to warrant the downside of when he is not I agree I like him I, I respect Corey Seager as a very good player wonderful hitter but he's just not going to end up on teams this year. Let's talk Swanson because uh, he was somebody that you hated a long time ago. It was all mm-hmm. price related because he was overblown based on, was it all the way back in 16 after his like, like 38 game debut or when? Did yeah. He, oh, I think it was that. Cause that was, he wasn't yeah. good for two years mm-hmm. after that. So it had to have been that. And people came in cause he was a, he was a one, one, and he checked high on prospect lists too, even though a lot of that was his defense. And people were just going crazy. And you, you had hella pushback, like, "Stop, y'all! Do not draft this guy." And you were dead right. Like he was mm-hmm. dreadful in seventeen, and still pretty modest in eighteen when he went fourteen and ten, but with a two thirty eight average, which was for a seventy nine WRC plus. 
But since then, since 19, we've really started to see some things come together. 2019 was derailed a bit by injury, but he was breaking out, still wound up with 17 and 10. Uh, in, in the 2020 season, Dansby Sonson played 60 games, and he was one of the best players, 10 and 5, 274 average. It was two months. Uh, and then last year, 160 games, 27 homers, big power breakout with nine steals, 248 average is nothing to write home about, but it's not killing you either. 88 ribbies, 78 runs on the Braves. Um, so Dansby Swanson now has established himself as much more of a credible player on the fantasy side. Have you changed your tune? Is the price fair enough? For you to for you to maybe draft Dansby Swanson, he goes 114 on average over the last month, with a range of 90 at the high end to 131 at the low end. Where do you currently stand in 2022 on Dansby Swanson? Um, I'm definitely willing to draft him this year. I th- I think you know, like you said, he's made some real changes. I love the fact that on top of the power growth that we've seen, um, we we are still getting the stolen bases. Mm-hmm. I do wonder. You know, he was healthy this year. He was healthy in or in healthy in 2021. Season. Healthy in shortened season. But prior to that, he just got nicked up constantly. Because um, he plays he plays a, a strong defense. Uh, so he's out yep, there diving exactly. and flipping and doing all that mm-hmm. shit. With that hair just all over the place. And well, he's way too make, making every, Yeah, making everybody swoon. <laughs> um, uh, and so I do worry a little bit about about that like it is 600 650 plate appearances repeatable for a guy like swanson i also he does have three over 530 though too three seasons over 530 so like it's usually like a one a one il stint type of deal he's not Mm -hmm. getting decimated but you're right you guys get nicked up it's it's not like Corey seager no it's just i don't know that he's hurt though too yeah i I don't know that i want to with some shit yeah, I don't know that I want to put him as like a 600 plate appearance yeah. guy, maybe a 550 something like that. I think, I think um, fair. You know, and I I don't know where he's going to hit in the lineup, and it's we not his right now. It's not his fault. Correct. It really depends on where the Braves want to hit Acuna in the lineup, and are the Braves going to bring back Freddie Freeman? Freeman? Exactly. Um, exactly. So if they, uh, I think for Swanson's purposes, not bringing back Freddie Freeman would be huge. Absolutely, I think because, because he, he stays he, one and Acuna mm-hmm. bats in the middle. Yeah, pardon me. If Freeman comes back, I think it can hit him, and he goes back down to like six. Yeah, because and that, Acuna that's, is at the top. If Freeman, well, and it could be seven because you have to think they're going to bring in another outfielder, likely too. Also true, um, because they have Waters and Pache currently penciled in. I don't think that they can go with both of them. They absolutely they might cannot. get like a Conforto. Um, like a Schwarber, they, they could bring like back that. a Soler or Rosario. Exactly. Uh, yep. So, uh, I, I, you know, right now the way things stand, like if the season started today, yeah, he's probably hitting one or two. Um, but I don't think that's where he's going to end up. So that, that uh, is I'm, the tough part I'm, with Swanson. I'm still fine drafting him. I mean, me too, me too. No, but that... no knocking twenty five ten. But don't use that as like uh, don't don't be like oh, and he's leading off and and bank on that. You can say there's a chance he leads off, but it is a low chance that we feel like. Because, and obviously at this point, fucking March 4th, we would normally have a much better feel on that, but we haven't had an off season. And God, it just pisses me off so much, Justin. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, yes, yeah, so that's Dansby Swanson. We both like him. We're de- definitely open to taking him. Another guy, like you said, you've hated this tier 
uh, almost all of them at, at, at some point. Obviously not Franco. I wonder Franco or Bobby Witt. They're brand new. But Seeger, Correa, and, and Dansby specifically. I don't think you ever were out uh, or heavily against Willie Adamas. But, uh, no, Correa, I was actually a Willie Adamas guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you've been a stan of his more yeah. so. So, But it's those other three that you've definitely had some big pushback against. And Correa has been one of those guys. He's unsigned right now which we know he's going to sign somewhere, maybe Houston, maybe he goes to Philly, or the same spots that that story could go to, plus maybe going back to Houston. Health has been a concern for him as well. You basically kind of have your same take as on Seager to Correa, yeah. I believe. And I always felt it was stronger with Correa than it was Seager until last year. I started to relent a little bit, but 153, or I'll just start from the very beginning. 99 has... Uh, rookie year but that's when he came that was an injury that was just he came up later but then 153 109 110 75 58 out of 60 in the shortened season but it's two months who cares and then 148 last year which was nice a nice spike back up over 600 plate appearances for Correa with 640 27 years old where do you currently stand because he played a full season last year is the 26 92 279 with 104 runs, zero steals. Is that good enough for you, um, even when he stayed healthy, or are you just underwhelmed in general, plus the health risk? Like, Where do you come out on Correa these days? Yeah, I'm kind of underwhelmed in general, plus then you add in the health risk, uh, and we don't know what park he's going to be in. I, I think yeah. I feel like he's going to be back in Houston. I like kind of do like, too, yep. Like that feels like the right spot, but, I mean, maybe the Angels jump in, maybe – uh, the Yankees jump in, maybe Philadelphia jumps in. Uh, so, but I mean, I don't really see as like necessarily a bad landing spot for him. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, like, I'm not super worried about where he lands. I am super worried about the fact that he always seems to get hurt, um, and that even in like what was his like you know really best season of his career, it was 26 home runs and zero stolen bases. And you know um, where that ranked last year at shortstop. I'm going to guess 17th. You're very close, 15. Oh, yeah. And that's where he's going. He's the 15th guy, 15th shortstop off the board. We're talking about like that was his dream season. Like, why are we drafting him 15th if that's where his dream season is? I hear you. And I've been a a Correa honk. You know, I really wanted him to go to my Tigers, um, really for the, you know, the the real life aspect more than fantasy because that park is not great or anything. But um, he's a good player. But is he a great fantasy player? And I, I don't think so. He's a flat out zero in steals. Um, and we haven't seen like 30 homer pop. Now he's gonna only be 27. That's the thing. He's been around forever, it feels like with Correa, and yet he's still only gonna be 27. There could feasibly be a power jump. Um, but I we can't bank on that. And then and it would come right back to your point about the health, though, too. Even if he even if he jumped his power rates. Would he play another 640 plate appearances? So the bottom line ends up leading me pretty much away from Correa. In fact, from my previous rankings, um, when the new, when the new shortstop ones come out next week, he's going to be one of my biggest droppers. I've dropped him seven spots. Uh, I had him very high in the first run, and I've actually got him actually down eight spots to uh, to 15. I have where oh. the market has him, but I, I dropped him down from seven. I have him 19th. 
I, I'm not sure I'm really going to crush you on that. And I might drop them further by the time the shortstops come out next week when I start researching some of these guys and maybe get a little bit more warm and fuzzy about J- Jazz Chisholm, who I've been a little bit a little bit tough on, but he does have the speed at least. So I don't blame you. I don't think 19 is out of pocket for uh, for Carlos Correa. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, I mean, it, yeah, an injury is lack of speed, and it's just – it's not a profile I'm willing to to gamble on necessarily. Um, I, I totally I just, get it. Yeah. So uh, the last guy in this tier, I think, right, is Willie Adamas. Like I said, yes. love him. Absolutely love yeah, him. Me too. Um, I have him as my 15th ranked shortstop. Uh, what he did from the time he went to Milwaukee uh, from Tampa was absolutely amazing. You know, he's mm-hmm. one of the guys who complained about uh, not being able to see because of the batter's eye in, uh, in Tampa Bay. Um, and totally tracked it totally yeah. tracked. I mean, it, his road numbers the, were disastrous and he, he was great from day or his, his home numbers were disastrous. Sorry. His road numbers were all-star level and he basically mm-hmm. took those road numbers and that's who he was with Milwaukee. Yeah. And I mean, he's a prime example of why I'm not out on Nelson Cruz after his struggles in Tampa. Exactly. I just think certain hitters struggle with that hitter eye in, in Tampa. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he is super, super solid. Um, you know, another guy who's probably 25-10. I've got him, him and uh, him and Dansby right in lockstep with each other. I could flip them, um, and I may actually move them up, you know, both up another spot um, and move Cronenworth down a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I love Adamas as well. You know, I, re- I still remember when we traded for David Price and Adamas was in that deal, and Eric told me, you know, Keep an eye on this Adamas guy. You know, I'm not. I'm not telling you this to like make you feel bad, but like he's going to be the prize of that deal, and mm-hmm. he was dead on. This is. I mean, he was like 18 at the time. He's like, yeah, you know, you guys are getting David Price, so don't be upset about getting an ace. But Adamas is the guy you guys are going to be mm-hmm. bummed about giving up, and he was completely dead on. Um, and Adamas has become a monster, and I think he's. I think he's got 30 homer power this year, mm-hmm. and unlike Correa. He at least does chip in a little, a, a few yeah. steals, something. Correa's straight up zero, dude. He's zero last year. He's zero in the 20 season. He's one out of one in uh, 2019. He only played 75 games, but then three out of three, two out of three. Like, he ain't doing shit. Mm-hmm. Adamas at least had f- five last year. He was five for nine. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like he's good, but I think he, I think he is a five every year type of guy. And I think there will be a year where he hits 10. Probably, Um, yep. I think so. And I hope it's this year because I'll have Adamas on some teams. Me too. Yeah, I'm fully in on Adamas. uh, 26 years old, going to have a first full year in Milwaukee, totally away from the trop, and uh, I think he'll be a monster. All right, the upside group. uh, And some of these guys have performed before, and you might not believe in the upside of some of them, but people. the reason I labeled it this is because people are drafting them for upside. And I gave that caveat out front because the first guy is Glaber Torres, and some people are out on him, but others still see the upside. So it's Glaber Torres, Ahmed Rosario, O'Neill Cruz, Andres Jimenez, Gavin Lux, Josh, Lo- uh, Josh, who's Josh Lopez, Josh Rojas, Nicky Lopez. <laughs> so another interesting group here. And uh, let's start with Glaber. Am I correct? And you're out on Glaber? No, I'm not out on Glaber. Okay, okay. Um, I, mis- I, I misremembered something. There. Uh, I, I've got. I, I've been out on Glaber in the past, okay. but I think where he's going now is totally fair. We saw a little bit of a bounce back towards the end of last season. Um, I've got and, him ran- and it's almost like he had fantasy guys in mind running 14 times, getting 14 steals, saying, hey, my power's out this year. Let me give you guys a little, little some steals. Where do you have yeah. rank? 
Uh, I've got him ranked, let's see, dun, 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 uh, 17 right in front of Corey Seager and Carlos okay. Correa. Oh, so, so um, you're, yeah, you're definitely not out. Yeah, and I've drafted him in a, in a, in a few leagues already uh, because you get late speed from him. The rabbit ball really you know, blew up his spot really in 2019. Did. Like, And, and really getting did. to go against the Orioles like 40 times that year. Uh, those, those were the two factors for sure. So, uh, you know, we can't expect him to be a 30 homer hitter. Like, it's just not who he is. But um, I'm not going to be surprised if he, uh, you know, is a 2015 guy or a be awesome. So the real question is, yeah, the real question is on that speed. So you believe that that speed is something that Mm -hmm. he'll continue to run. He ran 20 times last year um, and he was 14 for 20. So you feel like, okay, double digit speed from Glaber is a, is something I can put in the sheet. I absolutely do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, do you have any, do you give any credence to uh, playing short versus second? I've seen, I, I haven't seen any data to back it up. I've just seen it like kind of mentioned as a talking point that people are worried that if he plays short, cause like, I don't know how much do you make in that though? Like, he had 434 plate appearances at short, and he had 671 OPS. He only had 78 at second. He did have an 815 OPS, but I don't know, man. Is is like the the defensive stresses of short hurting him, or is that just a sample fluke? Um, both maybe. Uh, like I don't think that um, like playing shortstop is so much inherently more difficult that you know, it lowers your offensive numbers. I do think struggling defensively gets in the head of guys That's and fair. that make them struggle they take it to the dish. Yeah. They take it to the dish. Cause they're still thinking about the ball. They booted last inning. Yeah. Um, or that, Oh, I, I could have gotten to that, to that play. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I definitely think, I mean, I think we saw it with Suarez last year. Yes. I think oh my he, God. You know, he was struggling so much. And it wasn't because he was just playing shortstop, but just because he was playing poorly. They did um, him dirty by even putting him yeah. out there like and that. We saw when he moved back to third base, like the numbers improved mm-hmm. um, because he was a lot more confident and uh, capable there. And I think, you know, more than any other sport, um, I think you probably put basketball in this as well. Like baseball is a rhythm and feel yes. sport. Um, and when you're just not in a good rhythm, things get messed up so absolutely uh i think maybe being at second base will you know make him feel more confident because he's making the plays he needs to make in the field um i think that's fair now it, that is completely um anecdotal um yeah, look, yeah. looking for a different word or, I, or I, I, I can't get there i know the word you're looking for yeah. And neither of us, it's on the tip of our brain. It, it's, you know, it, um, it's a story. Like it's a story we it's tell ourselves. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Narrative was the word. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a narrative and I hate narratives. I, I am the anti-narrative guy. Every time someone starts giving me a narrative on, you know, this reason why this player is going to be great or this player is going to be bad. See, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think, I think the pushback I, against narratives has gone too far. Uh, and I will continue to lead that pushback. So, um, sometimes narratives like that tell the story though. Like, but the Willie Adamas can't hit at home is a narrative. No, I, it's borne out in the stats. Like, are you saying a narrative has like no statistical backing or is just like kind of, yeah, yeah. The, the, the narrative from the stats. Like, what, um, no, 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 no. I, I mean, when someone uses a narrative to just throw away stats, like, okay. um, 
I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, we, and we, I'll, I'll, I'll strengthen your there. argument here. Mm -hmm. I'll strengthen your argument on this narrative because for his career, Glaber Torres is dead even at both positions. He's a 794 yeah. OPS. Well, not dead even, if I'm being literal. He's 794 OPS at second base, 795 at short. So mm -hmm. that's that's bigger samples too, 677. Yeah. Uh, or excuse me, 750 plate appearances at second, 982 at short. So bottom line and, with and like with like with Adamus, like the example was like you looked at the home road splits and you go, there's something clearly going wrong. The data was home. The data and, firmly yeah, so the, yeah, the data firmly. It's for me, it's when like, you know, um well, when when the source is just trust me, dude. Yeah, as exactly. opposed to, yeah. you know, uh, I love that meme, by the way. Sources, just trust yeah. me, dude. Oh, it's it's uh, like contract your stuff. Like people like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, oh, he's he's playing for a contract. You don't think he's been playing for a contract his entire career? Exactly. He's a professional effing athlete. And the only like, thing they play hard has been proven on that was that guys might play through nagging injuries a bit more to mm -hmm. get the volume, which sometimes makes them worse. Exactly. And they're there again. That I think that was in baseball between the numbers, the, the baseball perspectives book years ago that showed that, like, yes, there is a little bit of a boost overall, but it's only by by volume. Mm -hmm. and, and there were examples of guys who got hurt by trying to play through, created a bigger injury, and screwed themselves. So, yeah, there, there's, the, there's no definitive contract year thing. So, and, and, so you, and the narrative on this conversation is I also use narratives all the fucking time of course um when it works for me because i've been oh. doing one with hyunjin ryu talking about how he wasn't able to see his family in in you know and so like when the narrative suits my purpose i will use it and when <laughs> the narrative is not yeah and when the narrative does not suit my purpose, i will clown the hell out of narratives yeah absolutely so you think uh glaber torres is a firm double double bet i do i i okay. do not think glaber torres belongs in this tier okay so he should be in the core I group? Think, I think he should be with the core group. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, Ahmed Rosario. And let's go Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez together. Mm -hmm. Did you catch any of the chatter highlighted or centered around uh, Ariel Cohen's drafting of Ahmed Rosario? Did you see that? I did not. So he took him in TGFBI, I want to say in the – ninth round like oh, he was wow. sharing his team did you say oh wow mm -hmm. okay so you're you're with you're with the rest of the group um because yeah that there there was a lot of like oh rosario in the ninth and he got a lot of pushback um and he, he just he really he really was uh uh backing him up it, not saying that he was like a god he's more like he just thinks he gets the playing time and thinks that he'll be a safe 15-15 guy. He went 11-13 last year as 25-year-old with a 282 average. He was basically league average, had a 99 WRC+. Plus. He was 13 for 13, by the way, Rosario was on the bases. That's really sharp after going 19 for 29 back in 2019. Um, do you agree with Ariel that he's a 15-15 somewhat safe play? Or was that, oh, wow, because... You have some concerns about taking Ahmed Rosario in the ninth round. No, I don't necessarily have concerns. I just haven't been seeing him go there. Um, okay. But Ariel's also one of those guys. He's got his projection system, and he's going to And say, it's not wildly out of ADP, no, by the way. He's I don't, a 10th rounder. Oh, okay. I, I just, he has not been going in 10th round in a lot of drafts. I mean, uh, which means I should have more 
shares of Ahmed Rosario because I kind of agree. I think, okay, um, especially if you're in a league where he still has outfield eligibility, uh, like Yahoo. I think nice. you know. Um, I think in labor or sorry in tout he'll have outfield eligibility for us uh, as go. well because he had 18 games in center field. So uh, and 15 is is the limit there. So that's that's hot. Yeah, that's hot. Uh, we couldn't get two more to get yeah, him outfield in NFBC. Son of a bitch. So, and I don't, I'm trying to remember, I don't think most of his games, yeah, most of his games in the outfield were earlier on in the season. Um, so it's not like he'll probably get it in season. He's probably just going to be the full-time uh, shortstop there. Um, yeah. But no, I, I like Rosario. I think he, uh, I think he's just kind of a, you know, lower end all around producer, right? Like yeah. he's, he's a guy that. You know, he doesn't have a standout tool, but he just gives you a lot of everything, especially those of you who don't want to rely on like the heavy stolen base guys, the guys who steal 25, 30 bases, you know, and, and you prefer to build throughout the draft, getting a bunch of 10 and 15 guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Rosario fits that. Uh, yeah, and so, that's perfect. Uh, He's perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that I, was I, yeah. what Ariel was kind of saying was like, you know, I'm, I'm getting my, my chip ins because he went Soto. Judge, Baez, India, Josh Bell, and Ahmed Rosario were his first six offensive players. So he doesn't have like any premium speed. And obviously the rest of his draft needs to be continuing to get some some chip-ins here and there. Let me ask you this. We did talk about Jimenez at second base, but to be honest, I, I don't remember exactly what we said. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember bringing it up and saying, like, I'm not dissing you because you were in on him. I was asking if you were bought back in. I think you said that you would still yeah. buy back in on, on mm-hmm. Jimenez as well, right? He yeah, goes a lot cheaper. He's 240 average, mm-hmm. average ADP. Yeah, it's I mean it kind of just depends on your team build where you're at. Um my hope is that by the time I get to Jimenez, uh like I don't feel like I need a ton of speed. Okay. Um, and so like for instance so in TGF extra. Yeah, in TGFBI, like I didn't take him, um, uh, even though you went past ADP. Uh, because I was okay on speed, and I and there's also guys later. I ended up taking Jonathan VR a few rounds later, where I was like, you I like know, that. He, um, you know, that's a speed play in case he gets signed to a a place where he uh, where he's going to start. So uh, I like Jimenez a lot. I, I still want to get him on teams, um, but three years old man, like yeah, there's still so much time for him, and he's gonna. I, I think he the way he played at the end of last season when he got called back up is who he is. Yeah. Um, so I think that's fair. Um, I, I think, I think there's value in, in both Rosario and Jimenez. Uh, yeah. they're both young, you know, Rosario's going to be 26. That's not ancient. It's not baby prospect or anything, but it's not ancient. And Jimenez is legitimately young at age 23 coming into this year. And so I think you can make cases for both. They offer speed, which is important and Cleveland will let them run. You mentioned that when Jimenez came back in September, Three homers, four steals, 271 average looked really nice. And people that kind of like that lasting impact or that, um, you know, that putting the cap on the season and going into next year, there isn't a whole lot to That's a narrative driven thing too, for sure. That we're like, oh, he closed well. And it's like, yeah, there has also been six months since then. So it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but he did come back and get his footing again. At the very least, there should be some confidence there for him and as feeling like, okay, I did some things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got myself back on track. Uh, all right. O'Neill Cruz. We've talked a lot about him. Just mm-hmm. kind of want to take your temperature because it's been a while since we have, have you been drafting him? Are you in on him? Do you think yeah. Pittsburgh will, um, 
uh, start him day one or or have him in the minors for a couple of weeks? Where do you come out on O'Neill Cruz? Because we we talked him up several like months ago at this point. You said you're still in. Where are you yeah, drafting yeah. him in a, and and does he start the season with Pittsburgh? Um, I have him in 50% of my drafted leagues. I do not okay. have him in TGFBI, unfortunately. Um, he was jumped before I was able to get him. Uh, I've been trying to do like a, a cruise cruise kind of turn on back to back. That's actually um, really nice. Obviously the funny part with the, with the name matching, but that's actually a really good combo with Nelson Cruz and O'Neill mm-hmm. Cruz. And so I've been like, you know, usually around 12, 13, 14 rounds on uh, a 15 teamer. I'm usually trying to double tap those guys. Um, was able to get Nelson Cruz, was not able to get O'Neill Cruz, uh, but I still love O'Neill Cruz. If there is some sort of service time games uh, that, that teams can do, I'm sure they will send him down for a little bit. Uh, and so he'd probably be missing whatever the equivalent of the, you know, three weeks of the, of the beginning of the season is uh, this year. But like I said, with Bobby Witt Jr., you know, if they come to some sort of agreement like they did in 2020, that, um, you know, anybody who plays gets the year of service time, then he could be up day one. Either way, I'm willing to draft him um, uh, just because I think the upside is so massive. There's a ton of power. There's there's speed. And the depth uh, of this position means covering him, you know, and getting somebody to cover for O'Neill Cruz if he does miss a few weeks isn't going to be that difficult. Yeah. I mean, this is why I love guys like LeMay, or not LeMay uh, in this situation, but Cronenworth. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, Urias, like guys like that, because, eligibles. you know, while Cruz is in the minor leagues, I can fill, uh, his position with those guys. And then when he comes up, then I'll, I'll move him around. So exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I, I've got, I've got a fair amount of O'Neill Cruz. I will continue to get more, um, as a season kind of, or as draft season rolls around. I'm, I'm in on Cruz, too, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm in lockstep with you. We talked Gavin Lux in the second base show. I think we talked Josh Rojas as well. Mm-hmm. Nicky Lopez, big-time breakout last year. Just like, holy smokes, where the heck did this come from? It was awesome. His elite defense, you know, earned him that playing time, and he took it and ran with it. Ended up going 22 for 23 on the bases. No power to speak of. Literally hit two homers. But had a 300 average, the, the the 22 steals I mentioned, 78 runs, 13% strikeout rate, 9% walk, sneaky walk capability too with his contact. Um, you buying this from a 26-year-old Nicky Lopez? Is, 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 he, is he now like a poor man's mild straw? Or what do you think about this, this breakout season out of Nicky Lopez and what it means for 2022? I mean, in some ways, yes, I am buying it, and I do think he can be a poor man's smile straw. In other ways, it's a really, really scary profile because, I mean, mm-hmm. while he makes a ton of contact uh, in the zone, uh, and that's what we want to see from a guy like him. I mean, in almost 93% zone contact, uh, you know, that, I mean, that's among the leaders in baseball in you know, terms of zone contact. Um, it's, he has no power, like, none. Um, you know, we talk about like average exit velocity, twelfth percentile. Uh, his barrel per or his uh, barrel percentage was under one. Oh my it was point seven. Um, so he had like two all year or something. He had three barrels. <laughs> okay. So, so now, power's not Nicky Lopez's game. 
like I said, like he does not have much power. So the you know for a barrel you need exit velocity plus launch angle. Mm-hmm. His la- his launch angle is low. It's two point eight. So you know he's not gonna get um, you know a lot of barrels because he has lack of launch angle, lack of barrels. So that being said, he is fast. Um, he makes a lot of contact, um, and so he is going to beat out some infield hits. And then when he does, he's going to steal bases. I think he's very unlikely to hit close to 300 again. I think that is just some luck. Uh, But I think he's also a guy that from year to year, his batting average will fluctuate. He plays good defense. The Royals do not want Mondesi playing every day. Uh, So even when Bobby Witt Jr. comes up, I think Mondesi is going to DH a lot. Yeah. Um, no, I think I mean Lopez was gold glover too, so like at, yeah. at a premium position. Like he's not I, going anywhere as far as playing time. I think Lopez probably hits two fifty and steals fifteen to twenty bases. Okay. Which is fun. That's where the projections are at with him. Yeah. And if your team build can fit it and you're loaded on power and you just are desperate for that speed, you can take it. Nicky Lopez will be on zero of my teams. I, I already like have him on time. it. I have him on a team with Miles. Can't Straw. do it. It is. Wait, well, it, I'm sorry. What? I have him on a team with Miles Straw. Do you have any power? I have a ton of power. I would um, hope so. Let's hear it. Um. Oh well. I'd actually. Oh, you don't have a pull. Okay, that's fine. That's yeah, fine. Um, that's that's wild was, though. I I talked about this team earlier er, earlier this offseason. Okay, I think I um, forgot. It was, it was my second DC, and um, every once in a while for a draft, I'll just go. I'm gonna take the best player available for the first five and six just, rounds and see, and see, see what ha- and see what happens and what happened was i had no speed coming out of the sixth round i had Oops. my third starter was jack flaherty like Ooh, my pitching was amazing um and uh and like i had g- great power at the top um and great power comes great responsibility yeah and what with with great what comes great power is the uh comes no speed the lack of speed and it was either punt speed or take some shots on miles straw and nikki lopez um and i hate that team uh, i will never do that again Understandably, uh, yeah. or at least i will i will not do it again this season um and i don't know that i've drafted nikki lopez since i can actually i do have my my shares list up i certainly um, don't blame that that i reason oh wait no that's pablo lopez i have that is the only team i have nikki lopez on yeah like that and, team will and, and likely like finish team. yeah that team will likely finish in like 12th I, <laughs> I can just say right now like that team is is not good okay let, let's say this though what if it wins would that change your outlook on on like just over indexing and getting like elite power guys up front and then taking the rabbits in the middle and late rounds like would it change you at all? Would 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 there be some confirmation bias there, or would you just say, "Wow, I got lucky as shit"? Um, I'd probably say, "Wow, I just got lucky as shit." Um, <laughs> so yeah, the team um, is. Uh, I just pulled it up. Uh, I picked from the nine spot. I took Kyle Tucker, and then I wrapped around and took Freddie Freeman in the second round. Okay. Um, and then I went Giolito Lynn uh, in the three four. I love um, that. Nick Castellanos in the fifth, Jack Flaherty in the sixth. And this was the point in which I went, okay, well, now I don't have any speed. You yeah, know, I've, speed? I, I've got, you know, probably eight from, eight from Freeman, 15 to 20 from Tucker. Yeah. Um, so I took Miles Straw in the seventh, Dalton Farshow in the eighth, um, and a few tri- uh, triple eligible guys in uh, Chris Taylor and uh, Cronenworth 
Austin Meadows, Nelson Cruz. Um, I, I have zero. I do not have a lot of saves on this team. I could be in a lot of trouble in saves. Um, what kind of league is this? This is a 15 team DC. Okay. It is not a good team. Um, this is an, this is an example of, uh, in, in some ways it's very reminiscent of what I did in TGFBI in a different way, but it's a team where I like a lot of the pieces and I do not like how they, but you don't there. like the team. I yeah. remember you actually sharing this with me and saying that before you did the same thing here with your TGFBI team, mm-hmm. I'll be interested to follow that one. I honestly, you need to get, keep tabs on that one for us and let us know how that team is doing as the season goes. Cause it's a really unique build but I agree that's not ideal or what you would normally try to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, we are running this, on this, time here. So this, yeah, is a, this is a league where I did double tap the cruise cruise though. So. And I re- I really do like that, by the way. Again, it's fun for the for the name thing, but mm-hmm. those two players fit well together, Nelson and O'Neill Cruz. Uh, let's go on to the MIs. And I got to be honest, um, I, I'd forgotten to list Brandon Crawford. He's probably better than this group, but maybe not, right? Because like, he spiked that big season. And I don't know that like, anyone's necessarily banking on him kind of being at that level. So maybe he is appropriately placed, but I will say uh, I glossed over him on accident. So I just, I'm squeezing him in here on the MIs with Brandon Crawford, Eugenio Suarez, Jonathan VR, Gio Urshela, JP Crawford, Miguel Rojas, and Paul DeYoung. Let's start with B. Craw for your beloved Giants. Mm-hmm. Where the hell did that come from, dude? 24 and 11 with a 298 average, 90 ribbies, 79 runs. Obviously, all his team was amazing, and he was a beneficiary. He was part of it, though, too, right? It's like, yeah, not only did he benefit from it, but he contributed to it. But he didn't just like pick up some RBIs with some cheap hitting. He was a god. Yeah, Is there one, some late career legitimacy here with, with Crawford? I definitely think there's some legitimacy to it. I don't think you fake your way to a 24-11 uh, season. Excellent skills um, behind it, too, with the plate skills. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're talking about a guy who, uh, you know, really really attacked. I mean, the Giants came up with a plan. Their hitting coach mm-hmm. um, or whoever within their organization came up with a plan and said, "Hey, we're going to say do not swing at pitches you're not guessing at." Right? Like, like come up with a plan of attack. This is what you're looking for. This is where you're looking for it. If it's not there, Get don't swing. Pitch. Yeah. Um, wait, wait for your pitch. And and they did that. And you saw what Brandon Belt and, and Crawford did. Um yeah. do I think dividends. do I think that he can repeat it? Absolutely not. Um but I don't think it's gonna fall apart either. I think we're probably looking at like I like where a lot of the projection systems are, like where the bad X is 19 home runs, five stolen bases, 258. Like, I feel like that is really fair. Yeah. Um, you know, he got lucky on Babip. Uh, and so I do think the batting average, like, I don't think there's any way he comes close to hitting 300, hit 298 last year. Mm-hmm. I think he's much more of a 250 uh, kind of hitter. But I think that we definitely, he definitely has power. He was healthy last year. I think the shortened season helped him get healthy. Regenerate. Um, yep. I agree for Baron so, Crawford. Um, totally. I, I'm, I'd be very surprised if he stole double-digit bases again. Yeah, um, 11 for 14 at age 34 was hot mm-hmm. when he had a combined 11 for the previous four seasons. It just happened to work out like I didn't even know that. But he was 11 for 25 in those four seasons. So don't even put that in your head. Put him down for four and take that. You're focused on the low 260s, high 250s batting average. 
17 to 20 homers and decent runs ribbies because he's going to play every day and that and y'all are still going to be good. I don't know if you're going to win 103 again, but I think the Giants are still 107. This 107. Year. Excuse uh, me. Excuse yes. me. Excuse me. How um, dare I? That is a pretty substantial yeah. difference. When you we start getting over 100, every game is is a deal. So mm-hmm. I my fault. 107 is fucking amazing. Um, by the way, I will say he actually probably does belong in this group of the MIs because that projection, which we both like from the bad X places him 23rd among shortstops. And that just okay. speaks Sounds to the insane depth of mm-hmm. this position. Yeah. And I don't, I, and I, I think one of the things we forget too, is that like, this was his pretty much his fewest amount of plate appearances in a season, uh, since like the beginning of his career, um, yeah, literally since 2012 outside of 2020, which doesn't, so, you know, not for like, this, he easily could offset some of that regression by just being on the field more because he's a guy who's been on the field a lot his entire career. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So we like B-Craw. I'm totally fine putting B-Craw in my middle, um, mm-hmm. especially if I have some young upside at short. I counterbalance it with kind of crusty vet who I think is going to give me a firm floor yeah. and maybe overproduce a little bit. But I'm not banking on 2021 at all. I don't he's need all- that from B-Craw t- for him to be good. He's also a guy like if I invest in like an O'Neill Cruz or a Bobby Witt Jr., like he's a guy yeah. that I don't mind putting in my lineup and kind of seeing how he looks early on. And I he's totally an easy drop when those guys come up if for some reason he just doesn't look like he was the same guy in 2021. Especially in like a 12-teamer. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you can easily just say, okay, you, you served your three weeks for me, but you're not really crushing and my, my prospect is up now. Thank you for your services. Yeah. Um, a. Eugenio, you briefly hinted at him earlier with his position, um, how he played shortstop last year, which was comical, but it does give us a year, another year of him as shortstop eligible. Mm-hmm. He eventually got moved back off of it because he, he just couldn't handle it, man. He was just mm-hmm. way too stretched there. I felt bad for him. And uh, he did kind of get his footing back when he went over to third base. And again, we just talked about this with Glaber, and I don't want to make too much of it just because it fits this narrative really well. Uh, 639 OPS as a shortstop, 748 as as a third baseman. I don't think it's impossible to say that that helped him, though, because, like you said, the confidence of carrying your shitty defense to the dish and just being so dreadful there. Also had a 183 Babbitt when he was playing shortstop. So that was part of it, too, just a simple bad luck. Mm-hmm. But – Where's the cutoff on the average versus power? Like he hit 198 last year, and a lot of that was held down by that shortstop performance. But he only hit 212 as a third baseman. Is there enough average from Eugenio Suarez to take the power? I know you like to punt batting average. I'm talking for like mm-hmm. an overall component component here, so it's 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 worth uh, delineating between the two because in a standard league, I think it's wide open because you can punt batting average, you can do a lot of different things. But in an overall can you put Suarez's batting average on your team? Is the power worth it? Is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak? I think it is. Okay. Um, and I think the the batting average will will rebound a little bit. I mean, you look at to you know you look at the twenty twenty one season, you look at the twenty twenty season, and what is the huge what is a huge outlier in those seasons opposed to what he did before. Well, it's the Babbitt. I mean, guy, yeah, was like a career three fifteen Babbitt. Prior to uh, 2020, shaved and then 100. in 20, yeah, shaved 100 points off that Babip in 2020 and 2021. It's crazy. Um, and you know, like I said, like he, he, you know, aside from moving to third base after being a shortstop and really struggling, he also made a swing change, um, which helped him get to balls uh, and lift them. And so we saw the huge September. Uh, I think he's gonna 
rebound really, really well. He's definitely a guy I want to target uh, late as a shortstop third base, um, you know, option. So I, and, and I love you, Bionis Suarez. You talk about Suarez getting uh, changing his swing a little bit to get some more lift. There were some more fly balls, uh, but but he had 42% fly balls in 2019, 47% these last two years. I don't think that five-point change is enough for a 100-point BABIP drop, right? Because yeah. more fly balls is going to be a lower BABIP, but not 100 points. The projections put him in the mid-260s on average, it looks like, just spot-checking them. Some range as high as 279, 282, however you feel. I think it's like a 235 average, which is perfectly palatable for the power that he delivers. The concern is if you think he's closer to this 200 average with Suarez, but I'm with you. I actually think it is worth the squeeze because I don't think he's a 200 average guy. So I'm willing to take that gamble. Um, even in an overall component where I want to be more balanced. I like Suarez too. I've been constantly eyeing him. I'll have a question for you at third base. So I'll save it for then instead of mm -hmm. just jumping it now, because there's a comparison with another guy that I wonder which one you like more, but I'll, I'll save that for, for um, Tuesday's episode. But yeah, I'm back in on Suarez. I think the price is pretty fair too. The discount totally builds in some cushion uh, for the average concern. Uh, Jonathan VR, you hint, hinted at him earlier. He's unsigned right now. He's just kind of what you see is what you get, right? He's going to sign somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if it's not with a dreadful base stealing manager, then we're going to expect him to be a double double and just kind of be fine. Right. Even if it is with a dreadful, like he's just one of those guys that that's true. Um, he kind of carries a perma green yeah. light. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I think he'll be fine. Um, you know, it's great that he's got multi-position eligibility at mm -hmm. short and third, because uh, like what I did was I put him as my first reserve in TGFBI and now he's covering third short MICI. I love that. So I'll take it. I love that. You know, I think, uh, I think we might do a part two on short stops because we got three more okay. sections and we really only have like t five minutes left and I don't want to blaze through them. Like the, the, the last two sections are, are way deep, but I don't want to just blow over this kid's one with Barrero, Pena, Stott. Well, I think there's some good discussion to be had there. So we can do that as, uh, as, as the beginning of Tuesday's episode. And okay. then maybe getting in third base. But let's finish here then with uh, J.P. Crawford, Gio Urshela, Miguel Rojas, and Paul DeYoung are the, are the last four in uh, in this tier. You've been a Paul DeYoung guy before, um, and he he's a brilliant fit for your punt average leagues when you do mm -hmm. that. Uh, he is not interested in batting average. Does he rebound? He's He's got a little bit of Suarez as aspect going right now where he dipped all the way down to 197, does he find his footing again and get back up to like the 230s, 240s to where that power is worth it? Paul DeYoung in, San, in St. Louis, how do you feel? Yeah, here's in one of those situations where I'm going to use the narrative to my advantage, right? Um, he, he's, uh, At least you're he's, honest about it. Yeah, he's he's been working uh, in the offseason with some new trainers and new hitting coach um, and reworking his swing. Uh, he got super unlucky, just super, yeah. super unlucky. Um so I think he is going to definitely rebound. The Cardinals have already committed to him uh, being a full-time player in 2022. So um, I think he is going criminally low uh, in drafts, uh, and he's definitely a guy I want on my teams, um, you know, late in the draft. Okay. I, I don't have any real issues with that. I don't think Edmundo Sosa is some, like, ironclad block. Also, the DH is there anyway if they yeah. do prefer Sosa. But DeYoung improved his defense, too, because I keep hearing a lot of, like, Sosa for defense over DeYoung. But DeYoung really 
took some he's steps good, forward good defender, with his defense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that he necessarily needs to be pushed off of the position. I um, think he has I think he has a month to prove that he belongs to be an everyday starter. Yeah. Um, because they'll bring up Gorman if he struggles, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, and then uh, and then he'll be relegated to like bench role and, yeah. and it, it could be trouble at that point. So for, I th- for I deal. think I think between Sosa, Edmund, and DeYoung, somebody's in trouble because Gorman's taking somebody's spot and you yep. all have, you know, a month or whatever it's going to be to figure it out. Totally um, agree with that. Otherwise, yeah, uh, Gorman's coming up and he's he's going to take somebody's he's spot. Gonna, yeah, because he, I mean, he looks ready. And he, mm-hmm. he, listen, there's a chance that maybe he's not ready. He gives those guys more time. But the trajectory he's on right now says he's going to be ready in like a month and mm-hmm. those guys better shape up or one of them is going to have to ship out. You're hundred percent right. JP Crawford was a big time prospect with Philly. Now he's one of those guys that was kind of like Dansby Swanson where the defense was playing a role in pushing him up to prospect lists. And maybe it fooled some fantasy folks into thinking that, that he had a brighter future than he did. Um, not that there wasn't anything with the bat, but maybe it wasn't super fantasy relevant. He started to show a little breakthrough last year at age 26. He was part of that quality Mariners team. I think he was leading off pretty regularly. 273, 338, 376. No power. Um, nine homers. Three for nine on the bases. I want to be in on J.P. Crawford, like, but I just can't get there. Like, I see the scouting. I understand the prospect pedigree, but I'm just not really seeing it as anything but pretty bland. You got anything on J.P. Crawford that, that you want to sell me on, or, or do you feel similarly? <laughs> Um, as I'm coughing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit on JP Crawford. Um, now in your traditional leagues, he is not probably worth drafting, right? In your 30 round yeah. leagues, 12 um, teamers, 12 teamers, especially. Yeah, you're probably not going to draft him. What I will sell you on is in your deeper formats, especially like your drafting holds, he is just going to accumulate, he's going yeah. to hit high going to score a lot of runs which is always an underrated statistic 89 Um, runs last year was his biggest mm -hmm. ticket item yep and i think he you know has the ability to maybe not completely repeat the batting average that we saw last year uh but come darn close 92 percent zone contact uh percentage for jp crawford last year um you know is is pretty damn good uh Let let me ask you something on that too by the way just um when you're looking at like Statcast stuff, mm-hmm. and you see the comically blue average exit below hard hit, yeah. all of that, but then you see a red max exit below at 74th percentile, do you ever think like, oh, that's just a lucky hit, or do you think like, hey, uh, maybe he's hinting at some some better power? Um, I, I think it deserves more. Um, research and thankfully, there, okay, yeah. I think thankfully, there are people who are doing this research and trying to come up with um leaderboards for 90th percentile uh okay. exit velocity. So it's not max exit velocity, we want to see how often they get to the 90th, percentile, yeah, yeah. Because, right? like or I said, that max could just be one great hit, it could, it could be just one great hit, and so we don't want to overrate that, mm-hmm. but we also don't want to ignore that because that is you know. You know, what did Ron Chandler used to say, right? Like, once you show us Display skill, skill, yeah, you, own, you it. own it. Um, So, you know, he hits that, and then you go, okay, maybe there is some power in the bat. And we, you know, we know that 
having played, you know, fantasy for a long time and watched baseball for a long time, like, you know, Ichiro Suzuki was never known for power, but you go watch him hit bat- batting practice, dude hit missiles and yeah. bombs. He just chose not to do that because it wasn't part of his game. And, and it's so, not that, you know, because I, I hear people say like, well, you're saying he could have hit 30 homers and, and he just chose not to. It's that he had some pop in his bat, but he would have had to completely change his game mm-hmm. to get there. Mm-hmm. And he might have hit like 25 homers, but with like a 260 average. And he chose to be more of a high dub- high single digits, low double digit homer guy while hitting 330 instead. Yeah. And, deal. and I think J.P. Crawford is one of these guys who probably has a little bit more power in the bat than maybe we think. But his role is to get on base. It's to, mm-hmm. you know, walk. You know, he walked, what, eight eight and a half percent of the time last year. Uh, he's had he's shown double-digit walk rates in the past. Um, and to make good contact and try to get on base, try to get on first base. So, you know, there isn't much in terms of homers and RBIs. Like, we're looking at maybe like a 10-homer, five-stolen base guy at best, really. But, but perhaps a, 95 runs. Yeah, a lot of runs, um, maybe a, a decent-ish average, 260, 270, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of plate appearances. And in draft and holds, you need lots of plate appearances. Yeah. All right, last guy here because you got to go. Miguel Rojas or Gio Urshela? You get to pick between the two. We're only talking about one of them. You mean, uh, oh, Miguel Rojas or Urshela? I'm going to say Rojas just because I'm a little wary of Urshela's injuries last year. I like Urshela That's better fair. as a better as a overall player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that he's double eligible, but I'm a little afraid about him staying on the field at this point. And I'm an Urshela guy, so I hear you on, on that totally. I, I see that front and center where I had him on and off my roster, and I actually missed some of his good stuff because he'd come back in the middle of the week and I couldn't get him in, and that was kind of annoying. Rojas is very Crawford, Crawfordian in that if you want a guy who's just going to play every day, he's a team leader, he's a good shortstop, like he's going to play. They love him in Miami. He's going to play. Um, he actually has a little bit more speed component, though, than Crawford. He had 13 last year, five in the shortened mm-hmm. season, nine in 2019, and his better batting average. So Miguel Rojas, he's boring, but like, he's not a terrible middle or like a deep league play. Mm-hmm. I, I don't hate him there. Okay, so that's going to wrap up part one. It is too deep to not uh, to not do a part two. We'll talk about the kids, the boring draftables, and then if there's any of the chaff that you care about there. Uh, we can get into that for the super deep leagues, but we'll do that on Tuesday. Justin, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Um, we got first pitch Florida online mm-hmm. um, and then labor, or excuse me, tout drafts. No so labor got, drafts. Oh, it is labor. Yeah. Yeah. It was tout. Uh, um, touts at the end of the month. Yeah. Touts at the end of the month and labor mixed was a week ago. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we got, we got labor. I'm be in the NL. Um, So yeah, we'll talk about some of that, but have a great weekend and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Take it easy.